You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonia. So we're back in the mix. We had a little bit of a hiccup because life. Life is, you know, it's stressful. And by the way, it is like some weeks feel like years. Joe, are you feeling Yeah, you know, some weeks feel like decades. Some decades feel like a second. Yeah, it's Thus amazing. Thus is the mystery of life and time. Yes, but it's amazing how we have gone through, I mean, for periods of time during the pandemic, particularly when everyone was on lockdown, it was like, God, every day is like a marathon. It's never going to end. When can I go back to sleep? Yep. And now it's like every day is like zooming along at warp speed. It, you it's, know? it's wild. Really, it's just really wild. And I, even though I say it's wild every every day, it's it remains that way. <laughs> There's no other way to better describe it. Well, one of the ways that you can sort of assuage yourself of this overload is to spend some time outside. And, you know, I'm a big fan of being outside. You are, I would say, I would call you a recent convert. Would you, would you be? Well, you know, it was not so much a convert, but more or less a, a, a reawakening. A reawakening. A reawakening. That's that's you know it was more in a slumber, and then I have come back to my outdoor roots. Well, I know. First of all, we're talking about a man who is kayaking and cycling and hanging out at various different water locations, beaches, lakes, streams, rivers, etc. It, it's the so, place to be. Yeah, it's amazing. You're just really living your best outdoor I, life. I I really am. I really try to. And you know, even yes on Sunday, which was, you know, by all stretches so ungodly hot. I know. I saw that you were out there. Yeah, I and I, I I was <laughs> I was a NISC unit and I got to the point where I'm like, Yeah, this is a little bit too hot for me. I'm like, it just yeah, well, yeah. You know what But I still did it. I still did it. So Okay, but what can make you feel better is shade and and truth provide shade okay and that gets us to a part of what we're talking about today you know there is an arboretum in slingerlands now an arboretum you have to listen to find out but an arboretum is not a park it is basically what i would deem to be a tree sanctuary where you can go and learn about all sorts of different kinds of trees and we talked to gabby st angelo who's been there like Two months she started. Something like that, yeah. It's She's the new new head of this operation, which is really not that far off the bike path. So if you find yourself on the bike path, you should really take a little bit of a detour. It's free. You can go and check out this 22-acre member-supported public arboretum. I really encourage people to do it. And when you're there, just stand under a tree and take a deep breath and find yourself rooted, literally, to the universe. And just be like, I put all my burdens down here Say. for just a few minutes. It's it's life changing. I, I give you I give you a lot of credit. Crazy, I give yeah, I give you a lot of credit for even saying the word arboretum correctly because a lot of people have a lot of problems with that word. Arboretum? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Hmm, okay. Well, so that's what, and we're also we have another interesting discussion this week. Yes. Yeah, so I spoke with Stanley Fritz, who is the political director for Citizen Action of New York, and we spoke about a whole variety of issues relating to the impact his organization um, has faced with the with the pandemic. You know, they 
are a statewide advocacy organization. They're affiliated with the Working Families Party. So we talked about the primary election that took place recently, but how that even played in just even you know pre-pandemic, you know, they were trying to also recalibrate the way they were going to operate with now primary elections in June versus September, still in the midst of the legislative session. So we spoke about that, but just in general, um, a lot of the challenges that they uh, they 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 face in terms of the issue areas that they work on, you know, these have only been amplified in terms of worker rights and, you know, the uh, the the fight the, the fight to tax the rich and, and all these initiatives that they want to get done. And as legislature has you know was going to return back this this month, you know, they're still mm-hmm. ready to go. But it was really interesting to talk about just the electoral changes. You know, where you know we were talking about this saying, you know you would wait on election night and you're waiting for the results. And by 11 o'clock, you kind of know what the deal is. Now it's, it's like Christmas and you see the toys, but you have to wait until past new year's now to open the toys be, just yeah. because of a vote by mail. So it was a really enlightening conversation about, you know, how citizen action in the working families party are, are recalibrating in this, uh, well, in this era. I can see no direct connection between those two interviews other than to say that they are both super cool topics. So people should take a listen. Well, I'll say this, you know, Stanley, uh, Stanley only recently became a political director for citizen action four months ago. And Gabby just became executive director Um, for the Arboretum two months ago. So these are two individuals who are dynamic, uh, who just took on these roles as, as we've encountered this worldwide pandemic. Okay. That's, there you, that's there you go. There, there's the link. Listen on, friends. Listen on. Stanley Fritz is the political director for Citizen Action of New York. Stanley, it's a pleasure to be with you. Joe, thanks for having me on. You know, before we get into our question, I have to say, you know, a, a huge congratulations for you getting the uh, City and State 40 under 40. It's a, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm I'm really excited about it. Corny, one corny note. I have actually like I I kind of always wanted to be on that list, yep. or at least like since at least I was like what maybe like 21, 22. Yeah, I was like, oh, this, this is so cool. I want to get on here someday, and I didn't even know that they were doing submissions for it. So when I found out, I was just honestly shocked. I I got it three years ago, and what the you know the funny thing is that they what they've been doing in the last couple of years is having the Albany 40 and the 40 in the city. So last yeah. year they had it at literally the smallest bar uh, I've ever been to. And they, and they stuffed people in like sardines. And it was like, I mean, I, I guess that's cool, but I mean, nonetheless, it's, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's uh, it certainly, it, it speaks to, you know, the work that you've done in your career and, and what you obviously are looking to do in the future here. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So, and yeah, I'm in, in the same group as like the the great Joe Bonilla. So yeah, you cool know, too. well, you know, it happens <laughs> from time to time. So let's talk about <laughs> what you do. So you are the political director for Citizen Action of New York. So explain to our listeners what you do day to day, and of course, in a in a given year or in a given normal year. Ah, <sighs> man. So I do a couple of things. I like to try to break the work down into three buckets. So the first one is internal coordination between our um, issue campaigns, communications, and organizing teams. So like making sure everybody is clear on the work that we're doing, um, on like the different roles that folks play, things are being executed and like like we're not in silos because it's very easy to jump into silos, right? especially with a statewide organization where you have chapters in eight different places. So 
that's one piece of the work. And like while also doing that, making sure it, like the issue stuff and the organizing is connected to our, our electoral goals and our endorsements. Um, and that can be like really overwhelming. Um, the second piece is I also usually will manage one or two um, statewide issue campaigns, either as a liaison for the organization on a coalition or running a campaign on my own. So the way that showed up last year, I guess, wow, it's been such a long year this year, <laughs> right. was on the, the bail reform fight yeah. where um, I was kind of like working with Erin George, um, our former civil rights director, as a point person on the, the bail rollback fight. And then the third piece is electoral. So helping to build in partnership with our members and leaders, our electoral priorities and goals, um, identifying candidates to run for office, endorsing people, um, looking to build the farm, and supporting um, endorsed candidates and allies with worldview and just like policy ideas and ways to approach the work and think about the work. And then after all that, sometimes I sleep. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, you uh, are really relentless in, in everything you do. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, you know, I, I had to do the very <laughs> subtle plug, right? But um, you know, let's talk about more on the electoral side because you know, and from my you know seeing what you do, and of course other folks that says and actually like when you guys get behind a candidate, it, it's a fairly aggressive effort, and that would be yeah. during a normal year, and then you know March comes through, the world you know goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, and now you have to figure a, a digital operation for mobilizing and for organizing. Yeah. And so what was, the, I guess, you know, what were your takeaways from this? Because you had, um, you know, with Citizen Action and also with the, uh, you know, you guys are, are pretty closely aligned with the Working Families Party. There were candidates that you had worked with upstate and downstate. And so I guess, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? And now we, the primary was a few weeks ago. What are your thoughts? What are your takeaways from that? Um, oh man. So along with COVID, this was the first time, at least in my time working here, that we had primary elections smack dab in the middle of session. Right. Which added another layer to it, which also made it so much crazier and more like overwhelming. Um, some huge takeaways was that major props to everyone who ran for office or worked on the campaign. It doesn't matter whether we were allies, we were against you, whatever. This was probably one of the hardest times to run for office or run a campaign. No one knew what the hell they were doing. Right. We were all just kind of like throwing things against the Learn world. Learn as we go. Yeah. Stick. yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, this year really kind of like hamstrung like our plans because, you know, like as COVID hit, it's happening during the session. We had some staff shifts because I got the promotion to political director and we had to restaff in New York City. So we weren't able to like endorse or even like move as like aggressively as we wanted to. So that... That, that hampered things a lot. But one of the things we were really lucky about was that we had a really strong communications infrastructure and that really saved the day. And like a lot of the props goes to our communications team, um, which is led by our communications director, Roberto Labianco. Um, we were really able to kind of like keep up in a lot of ways because of that. So whether it was using action network petitions, um, texting people with hustle or shadow chat, um, doing automated phone calls, doing phone banking using Van and Auto Dollar, like we were really able to like kind of stay plugged into campaigns, using the hell out of Zoom for online yep, and yep. town halls and debates. And then also, 
our partnership with the Working Families Party, our sister, like I call them our sister organization, was really big because if Citizen Action's comm team pulled like a Jordan Hennessy game for us this, yep. this season, yep. then like the Working Families Party pretty much pulled a Kobe Bryant 81 point game. Like they were just <laughs> shoulders. Like they, they just yeah. did an amazing job. And like it shows in a lot of those election victories, Jamal Bowman, um, who ran for Congress in Congressional District 16, who wasn't just running against Elliot Engel, he was running against another person named Andum. I forgot his last name, forgive me. And it was a great guy and he was a good, great candidate. And so that's a three-person race where right. in all likelihood, Engel should have been able to win that because those two other two candidates took the vote. Yeah, you would think the incumbent would pretty much take the advantage right there, right? Yeah, but like Working Families Party, and we did too, but it was really Working Families Party threw down. Um, and we, in partnership with Working Families Party, um, the three races that we lost, what we really threw down was Congressional District 15 um, in the Bronx, which Richie Torres won, but our candidate, Semelis Lopez, did very well. And like, I think she's proved, she's proven that even though she was a, a quote-unquote no-name candidate before the year started, that she is very viable and a leader in the Bronx. Then we have Matt Toprowski in, in, in the Capitol District for um, Albany for District Attorney, and Sam Fine, who ran for Assembly against John McDonald. And those were two really close races. They those were, went both down them, to right. the wire. And... Major props to Sam Fine and Matt Toporowski. Look, those are the great candidates. They're even better human beings. Well, I'd say, I'm looking forward. Well, Sorry, even, even real quick, just to touch point on that real quick, because of the change over for vote by mail, you know, normally yeah. you would have, you know, an election watch event where, you know, you're with the candidate or, or let's say with, you know, a, a coordinated campaign. But this year you yeah. had to wait. You had to wait weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yep. it's, like, it's like having Christmas. But saying, oh, you know, the toys are there or whatever, but you got to wait a couple of weeks before we can open them. Yeah, it's yeah. like Christmas, you get the presents, but you don't open it until we got yeah, New Year's. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, overall, though, I mean, it, the voter turnout was so much higher this year than in any year of recent memory. Yeah, you know, and like, I, got, I can't lie to you. I was not feeling positive about the turnout, and it really was. And I think that goes to show you that like New Yorkers are ready for something different. Yeah, They are looking for more progressive candidates. They are looking for candidates that are talking to their issues. And let's not call it quote unquote progressive issues. They're looking for, they're looking for candidates that center issues that center them. And, you know, the Matt Toporowski race, which is a race like I cared very deeply about because um, I thought Matt is a good, was a great candidate and a great person. But he was talking about changing the conversation around what safety means and really tackling the criminal legal system in a way that no one had done before. So Dave Sor is one, you know, I'm not happy about that, but hopefully he's gotten the message that he needs to change. And that's like, sometimes when you do the work, you'll fight a battle and you might lose the battle, but you win the war. And I think that's one, one of the cases where that happened. And the turnout showed that a lot of people are with us. And that's are, very exciting. Are you hoping that vote by mail stays in place? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it needs to. We need to build more infrastructure for it. Um, one of my really good friends works at the Board of Elections, and I see the look of dread in her eyes every time elections are coming up, particularly now with vote by mail. So we have to make sure that we give the local Board of Elections real funding so that they can actually do this and also so they can update their websites because some yeah. counties are like, their websites look like live journal pages from Black Planet in 2002. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> 
So it, it, it's, it, and I think that goes back to just like tech and government. It just, you know, it's, yeah. you know, you're thing you're seeing things back, you know, still now where you're like, they have, you know, music playing on the website and things like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, man. I think only Anta has a top eight on their board of elections website. Oh. Like their top eight <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so you had mentioned of, of course, this, you know, this change already this year that we knew about that, you know, you would have, you know, for candidates that wanted to run uh, for local or state elections this year, they had to start really during the middle of, of session, you know, and, you know, for yeah. petitioning and, and all of that together. But now, obviously, with the pandemic, it changed things. But, you know, next year, conceivably, if things are back to a, a new normal, this will be kind of the way things are, that we have this this late June primary uh, right yeah. in the smack dab of session. So, so there's two questions I have for you. So one, uh -huh. um, do you believe that session should be changed in a way where, you know, you might just get the budget done and then after, let's say a primary, they would come back. Hmm. Because it's, it's been discussed because like, you know, right now, if you look at it, you know, they get done, you know, it's a, they have to get done by April 1st. You know, that's the deadline yeah. for the budget. Right. And then, you know, if, you know, especially for like advocacy organizations, you have to, and ones are more, you know, politically aligned, like where they're looking for, you know, that impact in the June primary. It's like, you have to have this two front war where you're still trying yeah. to get things done end of session, which is a whole other ball of wax. But then you're yeah. trying to then you know, elevate a candidate, you know, whether or to reelect a candidate. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have a hundred percent answer for that because I'm not sure. I think that's kind of what the plan was originally that, you know, they were going to do the budget and folks were going to take a little bit more time off than usual to get through elections and then come back and then maybe have session run like through August and into early September, yeah. which I think that makes sense. And I know like it is literally my job to throw rocks at the throne and like hold elected officials accountable. Um, the ones that I love as well as the ones that I'm not huge fans of. Yeah. But like it puts them in a really hard spot because you're doing this work at the legislature, but then you have to be catering to your district and paying attention to their needs. That was obviously exacerbated with the coronavirus, but it's a tough spot to be in. Um, and it's not, it's, you know, like you can't expect someone to be able to run a functional campaign if they also have to be jumping to Albany and in their district and then find campaign yeah, time. Yeah, the, the, so the, the, focus, the focus gets divided in too many ways. Yeah, so I think like if they, if, I think that should be the goal um, for next year, like as you said. And also, this way, folks can have their summers back. I remember Marco Crespo once said to me, you know, we got a challenger last year, and you guys took away my summer. Even if I don't agree with folks, everyone deserves a, su deserves a summer. Yeah, time. That, that was always the thing. I mean, we were just so used to that September primary, so you always knew it was a slog in the summer. You you knew the, you know, the, the, the first thing that we always say would be the, that July filing. So then from there, I always felt the July filing was like the beginning of like the, you know, the regular season. You know, everything yeah. else is preseason, right? And then you get to yeah. like you know September Labor Day would be the last sprint right there, and then that would be that. And then now moving it up, um, and especially further upstate here, like in Albany or even in Western New York, where you know you have folks petitioning in the snow. Is that the real commitment? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. When you're canvassing for for signatures, when it's like you know there's two feet of snow on the ground, it's not so fun. But whereas in the summer, like <laughs> you you can get people that are going to be more apt to do it. So yeah. That's definitely true. But like props to everyone that ran. We had a couple of folks um 
there were a couple of races we didn't we didn't we didn't, we didn't endorse him. Um, some because we didn't have a chance. It was some just because it didn't make sense for where our base was. But like there was some really surprising election results this this time around. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's going to be an interesting year next year for sure. So before we wrap up, so the legislature is due to return back here to Albany uh, this week. And so, you know, what are your priorities? Because it's going to be a very limited session, you know, for this comeback. Yeah. What, what are your priorities right now for that? You know, we're going to have record evictions all across the country. And major props to the legislature. They've done a couple of things on housing, but I think we need something a lot stronger. We just do. Because unless, you know, like, unless, like, we put some real protections in for people that protects them from evictions and like make sure folks aren't getting forced out during a pandemic, we're going to have a major problem on our hands. And we already have record homelessness across the state. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing that, that connects directly to that is we need some revenue raisers. Listen, I know folks always say that if you raise taxes on a the rich, they're going to leave the state. My answer to that is the folks who are going to leave the state already did during the pandemic. They are gone. We have to tax the rich. You got millionaires and billionaires making record amount of money. Meanwhile, I got friends who've been unemployed since the second week of March and the rent bill is piling up and they have nowhere to go. The homeless shelters are over capacity. People don't know where the next meal is coming from. And we're seeing a surge in violent crimes across the state. It's because people are losing hope and they're at home. We've got to tax the rich to fund the poor. So pay for childcare, to make sure the schools have the resources they need so that they can open up and make it a safe space for students and teachers. And so that we can make sure we are putting in more supports for people who are housing insecure. This is this should be the number one priority, even if the federal government is going to be doing something. It doesn't matter. We need to be aggressive. We're New York State. We lead. Well, we will all be paying attention to what will happen in the next couple, coming weeks. And Stanley, yeah. thank you again for coming on. And I would hope that you can come back on again at some point and we can provide another update. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that did not go <laughs> so far, but uh, maybe we can uh, make fun of Jackie Cohen for a minute. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jackie Cohen is obviously a nemesis to all. Yes, she is. So yes, she that. is. Yes, she is. <laughs> so, all right. Stanley Fritz is the political director for Citizen Action of New York. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Bye. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on CivMix.com. Gabby Sant'Angelo, thank you so much for being with us. It's really wonderful to have you here. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Um, what's really amazing is that I think that you're one of the best kept secrets in the area. And I don't think you really necessarily want it that way. You know, sometimes I like it that way. Um, but we definitely have been getting our name out a little bit over the course of the past few months, but we are a, a little gem not too many people know about. Well, it's, it's the Pine Hollow Arboretum, 22 acres located in residential Slingerlands, which is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. And basically it was at one point a private residence, correct? Yes, yeah, we, um, our founder was Dr. John Abul, who is a local pediatrician in the area for many years. And he just started planting trees over 50 years ago. Um, so only, you know, starting in 2012, did we become a nonprofit and start allowing the public to come to our grounds. So what is the difference between an arboretum and a park? 
Oh, it's a great question. And um, that's always my selling point too. This is what makes it unique is the fact that we are an Arboretum. Um, we are more of a natural Arboretum than most. Um, we have over 3,500 different varieties of trees and shrubs unique to um, different regions of the world from Russia to China. Um, so it's, it's items and trees that you've never seen before. Um, but while you walk around, you are transported to these areas and you sort of feel like maybe you're not in New York at the moment. Um, so definitely different from a park where you would just sort of go hiking and see all your native plants. Um, we have, you know, a little bit of a wider variety to offer. And also there's actually a formal accreditation process for an Arboretum. You don't just like declare yourself an Arboretum and hang out a shingle and that's the end of it. Right, right. It, yeah, we're accredited level one. Uh, definitely a goal to keep moving on up. And, you know, that requires different mapping processes and, um, you know, kind of really getting different signage and working on developing um, all our trees and species to a cohesive sort of plan. And there's a, actually a residence on this property, but it's the the founders, he's, he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but it, it's your headquarters then. Yes, yeah, it's this um, wonderful building built in 1941. Uh, and the, the architect's name is, uh, ran from my mind, but he is sort of well-known in the Albany area, has a little bit of a Frank Lloyd Wright vibe to it. Mm -hmm. And it's not open to the public at the moment, but we are working with the town of Bethlehem to get that going so we can have events and conferences, things like that in the building. So now you're actually relatively new to this position, is that right? Yes, yeah, two months. <laughs> oh, welcome to your new COVID profession. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I mean, and that kind of dovetails into the next conversation is like, so this, this entity has been around for a while, but it raises in, or it's elevated in importance and potentially interest because people don't have that many options in terms of amusing themselves indoors. And you're an outdoor attraction that people can go and see. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I, you know, I've only been here two months and of course the pandemic has started before when I started this position and just the amount of visitors and people we've had come here over the past few months is absolutely amazing and it sort of has helped us because you know we like we love the fact that friends and families are coming here as their social their socially distant spot to have lunch and just walk around so we've definitely become that resource for the community and it's that, that's our goal we love that. Now it's free, but you can become a member or how does it work? Correct. Yeah, we are free, um, open every single day, dawn until dusk. We, some, we ask for a suggested $5 donation, but you can also become a member. Um, you get, you know, reciprocal garden admission to other arboretums in the country. And we offer some subscription discounts with magazines and things like that. Um, and then you'll also get discounts on classes like yoga and um, all those fun events that we'll hopefully plan once the pandemic is over. Yeah, it's interesting. So the plural of arboretum is arboretums, not arboreta. I I believe so. You may know than I. I don't know. I just I, I mean I'm actually fascinated by this whole. I mean, many people don't know it's right off the bike path. People right. like I can't tell you the number of times I have passed right by you and not even realized that I was there. Definitely. Yeah. It's yeah. It's and we've gotten more people. You know, I keep trying to push that too. We're a half mile off the bike path. There's sidewalks to get here. 
Um, so it is pretty user-friendly to get here. And we also are just purchased a bike rack. So we'll have a nice safe spot for people to leave their bicycles. Oh, you actually were, last I checked, you were looking to raise funds for that. So you actually got one. Yes, yeah, we got it. Everybody was so helpful and we were able to, to get there. So what are the challenges of being, I mean, it is, of course, when you are an outdoor entity, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier, for example, to encourage people to socially distance, but, you know, it, it's, it's still challenging, particularly in this moment in time. I mean, your programming, of course, has got to be a challenge in particular. Yes. Yeah. And we, you know, I keep thinking and I, I think about my family and families of kids and how they are looking for something to do and what is safe that they can do at the Arboretum that requires, you know, you keeping your distance from others and not touching anything really. Um, so, you know, we came up with this plant passport program for kids where they can sort of go on a tree scavenger hunt and um, they get stickers and uh, ask questions and make observations about different trees in the Arboretum and they get stickers at each station. And, you know, one thing I sort of been doing is just putting hand sanitizer everywhere. So, you know, at our sign-in booth at each tree where a kid might be touching something. So it, it makes it, it's a good program because at least people aren't gathering um, or, you know, having you move throughout the Arboretum at your own pace, which is good. Right. And also, I mean, we are at a time of increased stress and vitamin D and spending time outdoors are both super good for your health. Definitely. Personal PSA of the moment. <laughs> Everyone should get outside and soak up the sun in a, you know, in a safe measure. You don't want to get yourself sunburned or whatnot, but it, it, there are many documented studies that indicate this, the benefits of just being outdoors. It, it really drops your stress level dramatically. Yes. Yeah. And we've gotten into, I know we've done a lot of research about forest bathing and sort of the benefits of being Yeah. That is, you know, the process of going out kind of into the forest, whether you're hiking or walking and um, just like the whole wellness aspect of it. And, um, you know, I don't know off the top of my head all the different positive effects it has, but it's definitely sort of gives you that peace and comfort and energizes you for the day. Um, and part of our mission is that wellness aspect. Um, so, you know, we're going to try to do some more yoga, which is a great socially distant activity as well. So that's, that's sort of how we're going to do our programming. It'll continue to be outside, just in smaller groups. Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, we should also note that, you know, the pandemic has had, I mean, I hate to, I hate to say like silver linings or positive aspects, because there's really nothing positive about a pandemic that, but um, the, the reduction in people traveling has mm -hmm. really had a significant impact on air pollution which yeah. of course has a significant impact on the kind of pollutants that cause climate change and they have a negative impact on trees. So there is a health aspect for the tree population, which is positive here. I mean, I don't want anybody to write me angry letters about me suggesting that the pandemic's positive. I'm not suggesting that, but <laughs> there are some, there are some, you know, ancillary, you know, impacts that are not negative as that I, <laughs> yeah I mean I I agree from the fact that I see so many kids and families coming here 
and looking at frogs and turtles and that otherwise probably wouldn't have made their way here. Um, but they're looking for those places that they haven't been to before. And we are probably on the top of the list for places people haven't been to in the capital region. Um, so it's it's sort of, I know what you mean. It's that, that you gotta think positive sometimes and it's just wonderful to see people out here kind of experiencing things and seeing trees that they've never seen before. Um, yeah. What is it that people can do? I mean, if they are in fact um, benefiting from what you are offering, I mean, they and maybe they're a member and they're making contributions of a financial nature. But you also mentioned on your website that you can donate in-kind goods or services. You can make a legacy gift through a will or a trust or retirement. But I mean, is there anything that you need? Do you need more hand sanitizer? <laughs> yeah, well, we always need more hand sanitizer, as does everybody else, though. So that's um, that's one thing. But you know, we are always looking. You know, I keep thinking about the winter and how I don't want anybody to be stuck indoors. And what is our winter programming going to look like? And I think, you know, snowshoes or cross country skis for me, that's still something I'm learning. And I can't wait to bring groups out there to do it for the first time. You know, we're small enough, you'll feel safe trying to practice those activities. Um, but we are, we're, we're small, we're two people, staff of two people. So any little bit helps, whether it's monetary or whether it's just printer paper, <laughs> it's all good for us. Well, also, I just want to let people know. So what we're talking about here is um, signet trees that you can look at and it's self-guided, right? The trees are numbered, that they correspond to a brochure. You get a little background, you get a little education. You can do a 15 minute walk, you can do an hour walk, you can go to managed landscape areas of the grounds. And you know, you don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to, or you can interact if you if you're so if desired. Absolutely. Yep. And I think one um, sort of thing we also have is we are dog friendly. So definitely bring your pups with you. <laughs> if you yeah. Oh, on leash. On leash. Yes. Okay. Just that's very important. Um, also, we're talking about 11 ponds. So you mentioned frogs and I know, you know, I'm not a fan personally, but snakes, I know people are into them and like, you know, other things of an amphibious nature. Is there anything else that, you know, obviously you have to be careful with ticks, which is something that is endemic to all of the region. Is there anything else people should be looking out for? Um, we have, I, I think like the biggest snapping turtle I have ever seen. And he, he loves to hang out right in our front pond when you first enter the Arboretum. Um, he hangs out on a log and he is just massive and so cool to see. So definitely keep an eye out for him when you're um, traveling to the Arboretum. But yeah, plenty of frogs. We actually have a lot of herons that sort of walk the trail like a visitor <laughs> and um, as, and like any other arboretum, like you mentioned, ticks, and we do have a little bit of poison ivy, which we definitely keep off the trails, but just to make sure you, you stay on the trails when you're walking. So before I let you go, I also want to note that you have online offerings for those who maybe are feeling like they don't want to go outside or maybe it's raining. You can take a 10 minute field trip through the Pine Hollow Arboretum YouTube channel. Yep. And you just tell us what we might see I mean, I can see, but not everybody can see because this is like a, an auditory experience for them. So I'm looking at slugs, for example. You can take a 10-minute <laughs> trip and learn everything <laughs> to learn about slugs and snakes and bees and all sorts of things. 
Yeah, those, that's via our, our environmental educator, Anita, who is lovely. And she created these actually for um, school students in March that hopefully teachers will also use this year. So they're great for kids, um, just throw them on. There's, you know, about rain, about pine trees. Um, so we're gonna keep, keep uploading more and more of those videos, definitely. Well, I wanna encourage folks to get out there and check this out. There are so many things, and actually Joe and I have had this conversation, like, again, the, the pandemic has really curtailed a lot of travel and this, but also opened the opportunity to do some local exploration and really find out about all the gems, the hidden gems there are in our region. And Gabby, I wanna thank you so much for talking to us because this, the Arboretum is definitely one of them. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com.